The text for this morning's service is from Job 6, the verses 4 through 7, and verse 7 and 11. Of course, it's also about the other passages, but that's the main concentration is on those texts. Let's read that once again. Job says to Eliphaz, The arrows of the Almighty are in me. My spirit drinks in their poison. God's terrors are marshaled against me. Does a wild donkey bray when it has grass, or an ox bellow when it has fodder? Is tasteless food eaten without salt, or is there flavor in the white of an egg? I refuse to touch it. Such food makes me ill. And then for Job 7, verse 11, he says there, Therefore I will not keep silent. I will speak out in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. And then after the sermon, we will sing together from Psalm 66, the stanzas 7 and 8 where we cry out to the Lord to be attentive to us, and he gives us the assurance that he listens to us. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, for us it is extremely difficult to understand another person's situation, to understand where he or she is coming from. That is because we are selfish by nature, we are short-sighted, and we tend to be judgmental. We easily jump to conclusions and take superior positions, a superior attitude, wagging our finger at someone who is less fortunate than us. We easily believe that people are the authors of their own misfortunes. And then we boldly tell the hapless victim what we think of them and take no prisoners. When we do that, we can really hurt another person, especially a person who is in pain. And that's what we see here with Job. Job is in a very vulnerable position. He lost everything, including his health. And he is trying to make sense of his all. He is desperately reaching out for understanding from God and from his fellow man. And he is yearning to be heard. And it's not happening. At least not from his friends. You would think that after waiting seven days for Job, for Job to speak and to hear what he has to say, his friends would have some inkling as to what is going on with him. As they look at Job and listen to him, you would think that they would have at least some sympathy with him. But that's not the case. It's extremely painful to watch it all unfold. It's also very instructive for us. For the Lord gives us these conversations of Job with his friends and the one later on with God, so that we can look at ourselves, so that we can learn how to deal with another person's pain and how to put things into perspective. 
He wants, uh, he wants us to know how to put God into the picture as we deal with suffering, especially the suffering of our fellow man. In other words, he wants us to know how to put his law to love our neighbor as ourselves into practice. The book of Job is very instructive in that regard. It makes us sit back and think. Think about how suffering affects another person. It makes us think about where suffering comes from and how we have to deal with it. In so doing, the book of Job makes us especially to think about the suffering of God's Son, about why he came to earth, why he was born, and why that is such wonderful new news for us. It's very important for us to reflect on that, especially at this time of the year. Does anyone who understands about suffering and how to deal with it, it is he. And we need him. We need the Lord Jesus Christ to help us understand suffering, the suffering of others and our own. We need to be able to cry out to him and to find comfort in him. And that's what the sermon is about this morning. The theme for this morning service is as follows. Job cries out for understanding. And then we will see that he cries out because of the attack from Eliphaz in the first place. Secondly, because of the need to express his pain. And then finally, because of the hunger in his soul. As we know from chapter 3, which we dealt with the last time, and Job finally speaks, he expressed his anguish in no uncertain terms. He bitterly spoke about the brokenness of his existence. He spoke about the turn that his life took. And he was so depressed that he would rather die. What do you think about reactions, about Job's reaction to all this? Do you think that it was sinful that he did that? That is certainly what Eliphaz thought. For that reason, he also rebukes Job. He accusingly says in chapter 4, verse 5, but now trouble comes to you, and you are discouraged. It strikes you, and you are dismayed. Eliphaz is astonished the way that Job speaks about God and his dealings with him. Looking at it from his perspective and from what Eliphaz knows at this point, it is no wonder. For look at the kinds of things that Job is saying. He cries out in anguish in chapter 3, verse 11, Why did I not perish at birth and die as I came from the womb? He wished he was dead. What would you say to someone who spoke like that? Would you then not also try to set him straight and tell him about the precious gift of life and about how God does not judge anyone unjustly? Would you not tell him to be quiet and to accept what God has meted out? Indeed, that would be our first reaction. But in response, Job says that he is innocent. And yet he is in pain. And so he cannot help but cry out to God. 
in order to explain himself, he compares himself to an animal. He says, an animal does not cry out when his belly is full and when he experiences no pain. He only does that when he is hungry and in pain. Well, says Job, that's also the way it is with me. I can't help myself because of my pain. What's wrong with that? Is that really wrong? Eliphaz thinks that it is. He thinks that Job is a hypocrite, or at least someone who does not practice what he preaches. He knows Job well and the kind of reputation that he has. He mentions that in the beginning of chapter 4, for he says that he knows how Job, how Job has instructed other people who have gone through bad times, how he strengthened them, and how he has supported them with his words. Job was known for his wisdom, for knowing to say the right things. But now, after he had heard Job speak about his own situation, Eliphaz is, is perplexed at his words. Has Job changed his thinking? Why does he not take his own advice? Does he not realize that all these things come from God's hands? Does he not realize that God must be trying to tell him something with these calamities? Does Job not realize that he has to examine himself to see what it is that God is telling him? Or is he now singing a different tune because the shoe is on the other foot? That's what Eliphaz thinks. He thinks that Job is in trouble because of some specific sin that he committed. For that reason, he rebukes Job in chapter 5, verse 6 and following, and tells him that hardship does not spring from the soil like weeds do. No, Job, difficulties come to you because you're a sinner. He's pointing a finger at him. He wants Job to identify his sin and to confess it. He says, only then can things be right again. Stop being stubborn, Job. Admit your guilt. You have to repent. You must turn to God and ask for forgiveness. God has done this to you because you have sinned. According to Eliphaz, God's punishment comes in different ways. In chapter 4, verse 8 and following, he says that judgments can either come gradually, just as a crop grows, or they can come suddenly, like the attack of a lion. And, but you can be sure that when God, that when you do wrong, that God will send you judgment in one way or the other. Eliphaz even had a vision from God to confirm that that's how he deals with his people. He says in chapter 4, verse 12, a word was secretly brought to me. A spirit glided past my face, and the hair on my body stood on end. And then he says that a form stood before his face, and that he heard a hushed voice that said, if he charges his angels with errors, how much more those who live in houses of clay? In other words, Job is the one who has many errors. And he is the one who lives in a house of clay. In other words, in human form. 
Eliphaz speaks there about a human being, someone such as Job, whose foundation, he says, lies in the dust. That is the message he received in his vision, in his dream. Brothers and sisters, be careful when people tell you that they had a vision from God. For such visions are invariably designed to give support to what they put into their own heads, to make you think that they have a direct line to God. And so when you argue with their position, that you're actually arguing with God and you better not take issue with them because God has spoken to them. That's what they want you to think. The question always for us is, does whatever message you have from God, does it stand the test of God? Or are you just trying to bamboozle me? Let's look at that apparent vision of Eliphaz. Did God really speak to Eliphaz in that way? Well, it's possible, but highly unlikely. For Eliphaz lived at a time when God's word was not yet complete, and God used the prophets to proclaim his message. Today, that doesn't happen in that way anymore. God speaks to us through the Bible. And that is why when I prophesy to you, I do it on the basis of the Bible, and I quote the Bible to you. We have now the complete word of God. If you want to know God's will and what he has in store for you and for me and for others, then you can also find that in the Bible. The Bible is clear enough. As we look at the vision, at the words, that the Spirit spoke to Eliphaz, we don't find anything in those words that directly contradicts God's word. For he said that he was told that man's own righteousness cannot save him and that the life of man is short. How true. But Job already knew that. Such a general truth did not really help Job in his position. But we do not know whether or not Eliphaz received this message from God directly. It doesn't have the elements you would expect from a direct revelation from God. Revelations to prophets usually begin with the words, Thus says the Lord, or the word of the Lord came to me. It's more likely that Eliphaz made this vision up. For he wanted to have support for his own bias. He needed Job to be the author of his own misfortune. He needed to think that that was the case. And it is for that reason that Eliphaz gives Job such a hard time. He even calls him a fool. No wonder that Job says in chapter 6, verse 21, Now you too have proved to be of no help. You see something dreadful and are afraid. Job hit the nail right on the head. For do you know why Eliphaz was doing, saying all the things he was saying and where he went wrong? Well, he did three things wrong. First place, he didn't listen. Second place, he did not apply God's word. And in the third place, 
just like Job accuses him of, he acted out of fear. Fear is a very powerful motivator. What is he fearful of? He is afraid that what happened to Job would also happen to him. He is afraid for himself. Eliphaz does not want to entertain the notion that these kind of things could also happen to him. It is for that reason that he accuses Job of having committed some terrible sin. He cannot imagine that God would afflict him for any other reason. Else what happened to Job could happen to anybody. And that takes away his sense of security. Basically, Eliphaz is a coward. He is a man who is interested in preserving himself. He is a man who doesn't trust God. The accusations of Eliphaz pierced Job's righteous heart. Job knew that he was a sinner. He also clearly stated that. He cries out in chapter 7, verse 20, If I have sinned, what have I done to you, O watcher of men? He actually says, and the original language clearly bears that out, I have sinned. It is a statement. The word if doesn't belong there. Other translations, such as the King James Version, have not inserted that little word either. Job is stating his sinfulness as an undisputed fact. Job knows he is a sinner. And therefore, he also says further on that he has confessed his sins before God. And it is for that reason that Job is also known as a righteous man. He is righteous because he has confessed his sins. For that reason, Job is amazed and perplexed and bewildered at the charges that Eliphaz makes against him. He says to him, if you have any proof that I have done something wrong and which I have not confessed, then please supply me with the proof. Tell me what I have done wrong. Job is hurt that he is being wrongly accused and that he is also criticized for crying out because of the terrible circumstances that he finds himself in. Job is troubled to the depth of his soul. He doesn't understand what is happening. He doesn't understand why he has to suffer in the way that he does. And for that reason, he cries out in agony. Second point. Job states the rhetorical question, does a wild donkey bray when it has grass, or an ox bellow when it has fodder. In other words, when a man has everything he needs, then there is no need for him to cry out. And then there is no need to draw any attention to his situation, for then he is satisfied. Everything is well. But when things go wrong, it is then that you need to draw attention to your plight. And they need to be expressed. We as Christians are often reluctant to express our emotions. 
We are afraid during times of difficulties to show tears. We don't want others to see our pain. It's not Christian to be sad. After all, don't we as believers have the wonderful promises of God who promises to be with us in this life and into the next? And therefore, when you're in agony like that, it's wrong. It must be. And it's certainly wrong to express it. We have to be thankful. But do you really think that that is biblical? Do you really think that we cannot cry out in our pain when we are in pain? Well, Job certainly thinks that you can. And many others in the scriptures feel the same way. Just read through the, through the, through the Psalms. In the Psalms, you also see the psalmist crying out to the Lord in their agony. They speak of their present plight and even complain about the fact that they do not feel God's presence any longer. Their situation is so bad, and they cry out in, in despair. That's what David did, for example, when he wrote Psalm 22. He starts out by saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night, and I am not silent. Does that mean that David here is rejecting God? Is he being disrespectful to God? Is he not thankful? Is he saying here that God does not exist? Of course not. If that's what he thought, then he would not cry out to him in the first place. David knows that he exists. But in that moment of his pain, he does not experience his presence. And it is for that very reason that he calls upon him. He wants God to reveal himself to him and to make him see what the purpose is of his suffering. And like David, Job bellows like an ox. He cries out in agony. He is hungry. He is hungry for food. He is hungry for spiritual food. He wants God to speak to him. He wants God to make sense of it all for him. Why is this happening to me, O oh God? Tell me at least that it is not happening because you're angry with me. Job has a deep relationship with the Lord his God, and he treasures that relationship. There is nothing more important to him. Eliphaz does not really have an inkling of that kind of relationship. He is too busy with his own life. He is too busy trying to hem God in by setting his own rules so that he can control his own destiny. He wants to bind God to certain rules so that he can take control of his own life. He thinks that by being good, no calamities will come upon him. He thinks that if he does all the right things, then God would never allow any of these kinds of things to happen to him in his life. And therefore, he has no understanding whatsoever of Job's inner struggle. And so Job is absolutely right in saying that Eliphaz is afraid. 
He's afraid for himself. He is afraid that he too, just like Job, will lose everything he has. And it is that kind of fear that Satan hoped to instill in Job as well. Satan thought that he could bring Job down, that he could bring Job so far that he would be afraid of losing everything. And that once he does that, he would curse God. But Job was not afraid. Not that he wanted that suffering, far from it. But he was not afraid of losing everything. That is because he was a man of integrity who learned to trust in God his whole life. And Job was not afraid of death either. All that Job wanted was to have relief from his suffering. And what he wanted most was that God would assure him of his love for him. And so, brothers and sisters, do not fall for the kind of false theology of Eliphaz. Do not fall into the theology of fear of Eliphaz, which makes you afraid that you will lose it all. Fear God. He is the almighty creator of heaven and earth, and your life, my life, is in his hands. And he is in control of everything. He is in control of your life. He is in control of my life at all times. Don't think that you can manage God. No one can control him or manipulate him. If it is God's will that calamities will fall upon the land, and so be it. If it is his will to have you go through hard times, then it will happen. God will have his own reasons for this. And but you may be assured that whatever happens to you, he will turn it to your good. And while you're in the midst of it, you can cry out to him and he will hear you. Brothers and sisters, it is such faith that distinguishes us from unbelievers. We know how God deals with all men. He has revealed that to you and to me in his word. And that's why we come together every Sunday morning and Sunday afternoons, so that we may be reminded of God's ways. Do you know what God requires of you and me? He requires that we trust him at all times. He requires that you and I maintain that vital living relationship with him, as Job does. But do you know what else he wants you to know? He wants you to know that when evil comes your way, that then you may and you can and you should go to him for comfort, for understanding, that you may call upon his name and that you can cry out to him for deliverance that you may cry out to him that you do not want that evil. That you may cry out in your agony, which is also what Job does. For he asks another rhetorical question he asks. He asks, is tasteless food eaten without salt, or is there flavor in the white of an egg? The answer is obvious. Nevertheless, he states it. I refuse to touch it. Such food makes me ill. 
Job has lost his appetite because of the suffering that has been forced down his throat. We come to the third point. We're not sure what Job refers to when he speaks about the white of an egg. Another translation speaks about the slime of the purslane, and yet another about the juice of mellows. He's likely referring to the slimy juice of some type of plant. Whatever the case, Job makes clear that that type of food is inedible. It's very hard to stomach. He wants nothing to do with it. With what exactly? Does it mean that he wants nothing to do with what he has to endure? With the fact that he has lost everything near and dear to him and that he is suffering from illness and pain all the time? Or is he referring to the attacks of his friend Eliphaz? No doubt he is referring to both of these things. However, he does not just want to be done away with all that, but he wants much more than that. He also wants to be fed. What Job craves is solid food, brothers and sisters. He does not want to taste that which has been put in front of him, but he needs something more, something wholesome something that he can chew on. In other words, he wants to be filled with God's word and his promises. He wants to hear from him. He wants to know where it is all at. He is crying out for a situation to change so that he is no longer left wondering. And that's understandable, isn't it? Wouldn't you and I want that under the same circumstances? Wouldn't we want things to be different then, to be better? But usually we want things to be different for selfish reasons. We want our earthly comforts back. We think about ourselves. And we always have a hard time putting God into the picture. And that is because we are selfish by nature. For that reason, God at times will allow you and me to be in a painful situation at times. Because he wants you and me to examine our lives. He wants us to ask ourselves, why do I want relief from suffering? Am I afraid to let go of earthly comforts? Job cries out, but not so much because he is afraid. Oh, sure, he wants to find relief from his suffering, and he knows that only God can accomplish that. But what he wants most is to be sure of his relationship with God. He wants God to explain things to him. And that is why he cries out to him. And what's wrong with that? Nothing. When God causes us to suffer, he does that so that we go to him. For God alone has the answers, and he alone can heal you. Ultimately, Job was looking toward complete restoration, and that congregation is what we must be looking for as well. And God promises that he will also accomplish that. How God would do that was yet obscure in the Old Testament during the time that Job lived. Although Job trusted that God would take care of him through thick and through thin, it was not clear to him exactly how that would be accomplished. For us, that's somewhat different. We know that Christ came and why he came. He came to suffer in our stead 
so that we can find relief in the midst of suffering, so that we can know how life is going to be restored. For the Lord Jesus came to suffer and to die, and in this way to be triumphant over suffering and death. And that is why we celebrate the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the hope for all men for that very reason. Only because of him will there be an end to suffering. Only because of him can we and his whole creation be restored. And that is why we come together every first day of the week so we can celebrate together the triumph over death and so that we can be comforted. Because of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have great hope. And that is why Job is crying out. He wants to find relief. He wants to know that all is well with him and God. And so he cries out, Lord God, please save me. Hear the cry of my soul. See my tears. God cared very deeply for Job. And that is why Job was in such despair. But God never abandoned him. He only thought that he did. The Lord God was with him throughout. And even if Job had died at that very moment, God would have promoted him to heavenly glory, for Job was a child of God. But Job had to trust in him throughout. He had to know how precious he is in God's sight. And that's what you and I have to know as well. That's why he gave his son, because we are so precious to him. God is the one who gives you life. And if you believe in him, then you can also show that as his adopted child, brothers and sisters. That is the comfort we may have and that we may hang on to in this life for others and for ourselves. When others are suffering, then it is not necessarily because of a specific sin. Sometimes that's true. If you have a sinful lifestyle, then it will also show in your life. You will reap, in that case, what you sow. But those who repent from their sins, even though they are sinners, they will find restoration with God. And so we have to be compassionate. When we judge others, then we have to do that in compassion. And we have, a, we have to have a desire to lead them to God. Paul says in Galatians 6 verse 1, Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. Eliphaz didn't do that, did he? He was harsh because he was afraid. But a believer, you and I, we don't have to be afraid. For we have a God who listens to us and who cares about us, even in the darkest moments of life. For he, our God, dearly loves us. Amen.